today. If you turn to Mark chapter number 8, we are not, for the first time in quite a few Sundays, we are not in the Old Testament. We've been doing the series, and um, there is a connection this morning. The series that we've been going through is Following the Shepherd, the Life of David. And so we've taken several weeks, or really several months, to journey through David's life, and we're making a comparison, right? We're looking at the real historical events surrounding the life of David. And as David is learning about his relationship with God, we're learning about our relationship with God. We are, we're seeing that the things that took place in his life are completely relevant to what you and I go through in our lives. And as David was a shepherd boy and he learned to follow his shepherd, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our shepherd and we follow him. Now, recently... The last several weeks, we've been looking at the promise that God gave David. That, do you remember, we called it, and it's kind of theological, we called it the Davidic covenant. And that was basically the promise that, David, you are the king of Israel, and now from from your lineage, from your family, there's going to be an eternal king. And it was really, in the Old Testament, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of Messiah Jesus who would come. And so we spent a few weeks looking at that promise. Well, the people of Israel waited for centuries for the promise to be fulfilled. And then Jesus came. But when he came, when Jesus came, they didn't, as a, as a society, as religious leaders, they didn't embrace him. And they didn't say, yes, you're the one we've been waiting for. At first, many of them did. But as time went on, rather than embracing Jesus, he actually became the center of controversy. Even though all of those prophecies had been given about him. He became a controversial figure. Is Jesus still a controversial figure today? (laughs) I would say absolutely, absolutely. So, I just gave you my connection to the series on the life of David. That's it. I just needed an excuse to preach about this passage of scripture that I wanted to come to today. The Lord, I read this passage while I was on vacation. It was interesting. We were on family vacation, and I was reading this passage and um, my dad and Deborah and I, we had a conversation about it. And I kept coming back to it. And I really wanted to, uh, to come and share this passage with you as well. Um, so there's controversy surrounding the life of Christ. There's people that are opposing him. There's people that are following him. It was true in the days when Jesus walked on the earth. And it's just as true today. Well, let's pick up the story. Mark chapter 8. And we're going to begin and look at verse number 22. In verse number 22, the Bible says this, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. They had witnessed many, many miracles. At this point, the background at this point is we are at the height of Jesus' ministry, and we are at the height of Jesus' popularity. There have been all kinds of public miracles that have taken place. In fact, most recently, and we're not going to look at it today, but you just need to be aware of this because it's going to come up in our passage. Just the other day, in this account that we're reading, just a few days before, there had been a tremendous miracle that Jesus did. The miracle that he performed was the feeding of 
Not the 5,000, that was another story. This was the feeding of 4,000 people. And there'd been a miracle. Just all kinds of people gathered around, and Jesus miraculously feeds them with 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread and a few fish. And people are just impressed. This, by the way, is why 2,000 years later, people are still following Jesus. Because when he came, he made an undeniable impression on history. Well, we're in the middle of that. But in the middle of all the public miracles and healings, there's a group of people that are very much opposed and very much hostile to Jesus. And who they were, were the elite of the day. They were the power structure of the day. And we'll see more of them in just a minute. But in the midst of that, he comes into the city of Bethsaida. And remember, there's just people. They hear, Jesus is coming to town. Did you hear? The Nazarene, Jesus, he is coming to town. And the instant reaction, if you knew Jesus was coming, well, you found anybody you knew who was sick, anybody you knew that had a disability, anybody that you, that you knew that had something wrong with them, and you brought them to Jesus, brought them to Jesus. And they have a friend who's blind. And so they bring him to Jesus. Verse 23 and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, that's unique. There are only three miracles in Mark's gospel that are not done publicly in front of everybody. In this story, he takes this blind man by the hand. Can you imagine the picture there? That's our Lord and Savior. That's Jesus. He takes the man by the hand, and he leads him. And they walk out of town, and the crowd fades off in the distance. The disciples of Jesus follow and it's just Jesus and this man, hand in hand, as he leads the blind man outside of town. And when he had, wait for it, spit on him. Do you think the blind man, do you think the people around had any expectation of what's going to happen next? I mean, here come, this is the strangest, I, this passage of scripture just stood out to me because this is the strangest of all the miracles in my opinion. I mean, just, it's out there. And so this guy, he's holding him by the hand and the disciples are watching and I just imagine what's going to happen next. You know, they've seen Jesus pronounce healing. They've seen Jesus touch people. They've seen all kinds of ways that people are healed. But he takes the man and I can see him put his, hand, his, his hands around his head and looks at him. And as everybody watches, Jesus spits on his eyes. You say, why did he spit on his eyes? That one I just cannot figure out. <laughs> I just do not know. I mean, the best I can think is that Jesus wants to demonstrate to them that the power is not in some physical demonstration. That's all that I can think of. There was another healing, remember, where he took mud and he, he, he healed someone with mud on, on the eyes? I could think that would only be the, the idea here, that for some reason he wants to show them that, that it is simply the power of Jesus. You, you've seen all these uh, televangelists and healing meetings that go on today on TV, and they go around, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? And they have all these dramatic things, don't they? Like the guy's coming up, and if you watch him, somebody comes and like, hits him on the head, you know, boom, and, you know, he's supposed to be healed or something. Or they do some weird thing, and they, they, you know, blow on him, and he falls back, and they have all these theatrics and all of that. Well, we know, is God still capable of healing? Abs absolutely. But this, this, 
modern day mindset and uh, the, the corruption of it really makes a mockery of, of the true um, healing power of Jesus. And actually what we're going to see is that this miracle and all of Jesus' miracles were not about physical healing. Because all of those physical, all of those people that Jesus physically healed, what eventually happened to them? They died. They died. Jesus' miracles were for the purpose of showing, first of all, his power and his authority, but then also they gave a glimpse of the perfect life that was to come. That he was the one that had power over death. He was the one that had power over disease. He was the one that had power, and only through him could there be life eternal. So the miracles served as a sign to point to Christ. But he takes this man and he spits on him, And now look at this. It says in verse 23, He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him, can you see anything? Can you see anything? Now, we know Jesus knew the answer to that question. But he asked the man, can you see anything? He asked him if he saw aught. In verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. What's he saying? Now, this this man obviously, I would assume, wasn't born blind because he's starting to get his sight back now. He rubs his eyes. Jesus says, what can you see? What What can you see? And he says, well, it's just kind of a blur. But I see, it looks like people. And it looks like they're walking but they look kind of like trees in my vision. Now, immediately when I read this, it just struck me as kind of strange because if Jesus has the power to heal this man, does he need two tries? Is that the point here? Like Jesus is like, oh, guess it didn't work that time. Maybe I should spit on him again, you know? Let's let's rewind this thing, try it again. I guess I didn't give him the full dose, you know? He got his first round, but he didn't get the second shot, you know? Let's try it again. Sorry. Um, I don't think that's the point at all. I think what we're looking at here, and you see it in your notes, is we're seeing a miracle and a metaphor. There's a miracle and a metaphor. Because while the crowd has walked away, the disciples are still there. They always were with him. So it says that I see ministries walking. Now look at verse 25. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. He was perfectly and completely healed. So what's the point here? Is this that Jesus is, uh, it's not that Jesus needs two attempts. It's not that the first wasn't good enough, but the second try got it right. That's not it at all. Jesus says often, and everything Jesus did, whether it should be done in front of the crowds or to be done with the ones who are following him, as you study the life of Christ, everything he did had significance. And he was using situations and circumstances in the world around. He was using these circumstances to teach people something about himself and their relationship to him. We understand that we have been created for a purpose. That we have not been created, our lives do not, are not insignificant, our lives are not without meaning, meaning, but our, we were created for a purpose, and ultimately, the purpose, and this is something that the world around us has a hard time getting a firm hold of. 
The purpose for which we were created is to know our Creator. You say, well, is there more to it? Well, yes, there's more to it, but it all flows out of that. And Jesus' number one focus in his ministry was to reveal to people how they could know him personally. And those of us who are believers in Christ, we understand what a wonderful thing it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Not a religion, but a personal relationship with Christ. And so he's using this for a metaphor. Well, a metaphor for what? I am glad you asked. Look at what the surrounding circumstances are. Really what's happening here, and I've titled the message, What Can You See? What Can You See? This metaphor, this miracle, it serves to help us stop and think about what we see spiritually. You say, hey, I'm seeing pretty good. You know, maybe I have to adjust the, you know, the bifocals a little bit. Maybe I've got to look over the glasses, you know, but I, I can see pretty well. But what about your spiritual vision? What about your spiritual sight? That's what Jesus is talking about. And the first lesson that we learn from this is a lesson about spiritual blindness. You notice the statement was, they brought a man to him, a blind man to him. Well, what had happened leading up to this is very, very important. Do you remember I said at the early part of the chapter was a miracle of the feeding of 4,000 people, but then the narrative really picks up back in verse 10. So in your Bible, back up a few paragraphs, back to verse number 10, and see what's happening before this miracle takes place. In verse number 10, it says, immediately or straightway, he entered into a ship with his disciples. They would sail back and forth, up and down the Sea of Galilee quite often. And so they get into this ship, and they came into the parts of Dalmanathua, or Dalmanath, I can't say that word. So anyway, verse 11. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him. Now, aren't you thankful that the Lord loves to hear our questions when they come from a sincere heart? In fact, the Bible is not something that should be shoved down anyone's throat. God says, come now and let us reason together. The Bible is something, and the, and the Lord Jesus Christ is someone that people, it shouldn't be forced down people's throats, but people should be invited to come and see, to come and experience and see the wonder of Christ. But these are not the kind of questions the Pharisees are asking. If you know the Pharisees, they are a very self-important group of people. I mean, they wear fancy clothes. They've got all of the symbols on the... Uh, and you've seen, a lot of you have seen the old the, the movies that depict them or the, uh, or, or the paintings, and they've got the, the, you know, the fancy headgear, and they, they dress in a way they want everyone to know, we're not quite like you people. We're just a little bit more advanced. We're a little bit closer to God than you all. And Jesus is coming, and he's like talking to people who are sleeping on the streets. He's talking to people that are social outcasts. He's got followers that are not parts of the respectable group of society, and they've got a problem with that. That bothers them. And so these Pharisees start to ask Jesus questions. Now, you're going to see two groups as we go through this section you're going to see the Pharisees and then another group called the Herodians. Like, what in the world is a Herodian? Those were people that were loyal to the political ruler of the day, King Herod. So you've got Pharisees and Herodians. Now, they began to question him. Look at verse 11 again. The Pharisees came forth. They began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. 
well, people say you're the Messiah. Well, why don't you just show me a sign? Well, what had Jesus been doing for months? And years probably at this point in the story. What had he been doing? Signs. He'd been showing signs. He'd been doing miracles. But it's never enough for them. It's never enough. Have you ever met somebody that said, I, if there's a God, make him talk to me right now. You ever had somebody say that or have that kind of, yeah. These are, these are the, this is the idea of the Pharisees. They say, if you're really the Messiah, you show us a sign. They're not sincere questions. They're, they're the questions of skeptics and, and they have their mind made up already. Why? Because there's a spiritual blindness. It's a spiritual blindness here. Look what it says. In verse number 12, when Jesus gets this question, uh, he sighed uh, deeply in his spirit. He sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily, I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. Now, when he talks about generation, I don't know that he's necessarily dealing specifically with every person of that age. Often the idea of the generation is there's a certain type of people, there's a group of people, and these people want not, they don't, they're very happy with where they're at. They're very happy with the way their lives are. They don't want anything to interrupt or disturb that. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter so long as it doesn't upset their life. And Jesus says, there won't be any sign given to you. And he sighs. He's troubled by this. I don't think that Jesus is happy. I don't think he's gloating. I think he's truly sorrowful because of the spiritual blindness around him. Have you noticed that there are some people, not all, but there are some people in our generation who are open-minded about everything except Christianity. Have you, have you encountered that? Now, that's not everyone. There are many people that, that still want to know. They wanna, they're, they're interested in the Scriptures. They want to know about Jesus. But there's a group of people that, that they are open-minded. They will listen to... They, 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 in fact, pride themselves in how open-minded they are, except when it comes to matters of faith, except when it comes to matters of the Scripture. There's a spiritual blindness that's going on there. Now, what was it that blinded these people? Well, Jesus goes on. Look at verse number, look what happens. Verse number 13. And he left them. And entering into the ship again, he departed to the other side. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and bring any food with them. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. Now, so that's what's going on in the disciples' mind. Like, man. Peter, you forgot the food again. Like, what is wrong with you? How many times is this going to happen? You didn't bring lunch. They're kind of hangry, as I imagine them at this point in time. And so this is going through their mind. You know, here we go. There's nothing to eat. We've got nothing. Now, Jesus says this. Now, Jesus isn't thinking about the food. Jesus is thinking about the conversation that he just had with these Pharisees, right? And Jesus says to the, to the disciples while they're in the boat going across the lake, he says... Take heed, be careful. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. These people that are spiritually blind, the Pharisees, the followers of Herod, 
Jesus says to them, Jesus uses another example. He says, beware of the leaven. Leaven is the idea of, you know, you take a, you take a lump of dough, you add the leaven. It doesn't take very much, right? It just takes a little bit, and that little bit will do what to that whole loaf? It'll make the whole thing rise. And, Jesus, and leaven in the Bible often is a symbol of something negative, and that if you let it into your life, even in a small part, it can corrupt. It can bring, a, it can bring trouble. Now, he says here to the, to the disciples, he says, hey, Remember, he just talked to the Pharisees, and there's some Herodians. He just spoke to them, and Jesus says, hey, you need to be careful that you don't let the leaven of those people into your lives. What kind of things would those be? Well, these are people that were blinded by their religion. What a, ter- what a tragic thing to be blinded by, right? Religion. Can you imagine being a totally, totally faithful person? These Pharisees were dedicated people. They went to their church, so to speak, probably every day. They memorized huge portions of the Bible. They did all of the things that they were supposed to do to be good people. But when God spoke to them in the flesh, they couldn't even recognize Him. Couldn't even see Him. Why? Because they were more caught up in the formalities of their religion than in knowing the God of their religion. Be careful. Whether it's a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Catholic church, it doesn't matter. There's not a church in the world that can bring you into a relationship with God. Not a single church that can do that. And that is what the Pharisees misunderstood. They were so, they had so much trust in their religion and their traditions that they couldn't see the truth standing right in front of them. Then the Herodians, it wasn't religion for them. In fact, they weren't a religious people at all. They're a greedy people. The Herodians were Jewish people. Remember, Israel at this time is controlled by Rome. And what the Romans would do is they would set up a puppet ruler in the land of the people that they conquered. And so Herod was a Jewish man, but Herod just... All he cared about was money. He gets to live in the cool palace. He gets to boss people around, tell them what to do. I mean, he's got it made in the shade, as they say. This is his life. And he's got his minions. And all his minions are his devotees. And they follow him around. And they they have that power. They have that authority. They have all this money. And so while the Pharisees are one group that rejects Jesus because of their religion, on the other hand, there's a group of people, they have no time for spiritual truth because they're too busy focusing on money, power, position, and prestige. And it's nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Nothing has changed. There are still, to this day, people who on the one hand, they, 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 they think they're right with God because of what they do in their religion. And on the other hand, there are people that they could care less. They couldn't care less if they were right with God so long as they had everything they needed today. Jesus says, beware. Be careful of that because it leads to spiritual blindness. Well, but it's not just spiritual blindness that's the problem. Remember, the, the, we said the man who is healed is a metaphor. He can't see anything. He's blind. But Jesus spits on him, and now he has blurred vision. He has blurred vision. And you'll notice the disciples... The disciples are the ones who are close to Jesus, but they're struggling to grasp the truth as well. 
They're not like the Pharisees or the Herodians. They want to learn from Jesus, but their vision is blurred. You say, well, what are you talking about? Look what happens next. You remember, they're in the boat. So 4,000 people have been fed. Pharisees and Herodians ask Jesus a bunch of questions. Disciples get in a boat. Man, we forgot lunch. Jesus says, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And then they're like, verse 16, they say, oh, they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. These are the disciples, right? There's a new, uh, uh, there's a new TV series that someone has produced. It's excellent. Some of you, we've talked about it a couple of times. It's called The Chosen. I'd encourage you to look it up and watch it. But they do a great job character, like, really humanizing these disciples, like as if they're real people. And it, it, Situations like this, all right? Can you imagine, you're these guys, they're like, we forgot the lunch. We forgot the bread. There's nothing to eat. And Jesus says, beware. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. I told you, Andrew, we didn't bring enough food. Even Jesus is upset with us about it. I mean, that's what they think. They think that what Jesus is saying is, has something to do with lunch. I mean, most of the time, if there's a situation, I can't think about it till I've had lunch either. So I can, I can sympathize with these guys. I can understand it. But they don't get it. They don't get it. And so Jesus now, remember, the first group of people are spiritually blind. When they, when they give Jesus a hard time, Jesus says, oh, you won't have a sign. And what does he then do? What's his reaction? He walks away. But that's not what happens with the disciples. Jesus is patient with the disciples. Jesus gives the disciples time. Now, he's hard on them. There's tough love, love exhibited here. But I think you and I, if you know Christ as your Savior, listen, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you need to pray, Lord, open my eyes so I can see the truth of Jesus. But if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you can relate, like I can at times, to these disciples right here who are like, Jesus, I want to be close to you. I'm a follower of you. But sometimes I can't see what God is trying to show me, even though it's right in front of my face. I can't see what God's trying to show me. And that's the disciples. They have blurred vision. They say here, um, they say, well, this must be because we, we didn't bring any bread. Verse 17, when Jesus knew it, Jesus knows what they're talking about now. He says to them, why reason ye because you have no bread? He says, don't you understand? Is your heart still hardened too? Are you like those Pharisees? Do you have a heart, hardened heart? Verse 18, he says, this is not about, he says, oh, verse 18 is a key verse. I almost skipped over it. Verse 18, this is the crux verse of the whole passage. Having eyes, do you see not? Having ears, do you hear not? Do you not remember? He says, you have perfect physical vision, but is it possible you're missing something right in front of you? You have great hearing, but is it possible that there's someone trying to speak to you? Is your heart hard? Do you not remember? Jesus says, verse 19, when I break the five loaves among the 5,000, how many baskets did you take? How, how much was the leftovers? Twelve. Yes, twelve. And 
when there were seven loaves among 4,000, how many baskets of fragments took he up? They said, seven? Yeah, guys, you're starting to understand this now. You're starting to get it. If there wasn't enough food, I could take that little, I could, I could just make some food here for you. I've got the power. Like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I see what you're talking about. And he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? That's verse 21. He said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? Listen, friends, we, hopefully we're not in the position of spiritual blindness. But you could be. You could be here in the room or watching on the live stream. You could be someone that's, you know what? I've never really seen Jesus for who he is. But for those of us that have, we do have a relationship with Christ. Is our vision blurred? Are you seeing what God is trying to show you? Are you even reading the Bible? Are you, is your heart attentive? Or has it become blurred? You know, these guys couldn't get it. Jesus is speaking about the Pharisees and the Herodians, but I think their vision's blurred by the culture around them. Nobody around them had any problem with the Pharisees and the Herodians. I, I think one of the biggest things here is their vision was blurred by their immediate needs and desires. They're so focused on lunch, they're so focused on with their immediate need that they can't see the spiritual truth that God is trying to show them. Have you ever had that happen to you in your life? I mean, you need a few more bucks to pay the, the bill. The, the budget's getting a little thin. We're so focused on what we have to do, what we need to do, what, the, the, the action that we need to take, sometimes we don't see what God is trying to show us, and it gets, the vision gets blurred. And in that context, then we come to the miracle that we already read in verse 22. Verse 22, he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him. This is exactly the setup for the account with the blind man. Everything that's happened so far, now the story makes sense. He spits on him, rubs his eyes. What do you see? I see men as trees walking. Touches him again. Now he saw clearly. He saw perfectly. I see myself in this blind man. And I think you can as well. But then ultimately the story leads up to perfect vision, perfect sight. Look what happens after the man is healed. This is the, I, I just love that the passage comes to this section next. Verse 27, and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, this is the big question. This is the question that the Pharisees were having trouble with. They wanted a sign. But Jesus says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? He's giving them a vision test right now. He's giving them, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity for them to state if they see clearly. You see, true spiritual vision begins with a clear vision of who Jesus is. It is all about Him. It is all about Christ. He came. He is the central figure of history. He is the central figure of eternity. And what we say about Jesus is really all that matters in life. 
If you strip everything away, if you have nothing left, but you have Jesus, you have more than enough. Guys, as they're walking, you know, they're walking, probably snacking on something based on what we know about these guys. They're just walking down the road. Jesus says, fellas, ladies, because there, there was a group of women that were part of the disciples. Guys, ladies, who do people say that I am? What is people's perspective of who I am? That's a question we could ask the room. We won't, but if I said, hey, who do people say Jesus is? Well, some people think he's a good teacher, wise, holy man, a prophet, you know, somebody from distant history that had some good teachings. Who do people say that I am? And they said, well, John the Baptist. Some people, they think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elias. That would be Elijah. They think that Old Testament prophet Elijah came back from the dead. That's who they think you are. And other people say, well, he's just, he's one of the prophets. Verse 29. And he saith unto them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? Just like he said to the blind man, what do you see? What can you see? Can you see anything? He says to the disciples, what do, you, what do you see? What can you see about me? Do you know who I am? Who do you say that I am? Forget every other person in the world. It doesn't matter. Don't look around the room and think, well, what do these people think about Jesus? Don't look at your family and think, well, what does my family think about Jesus? Don't say, well, what does my church think? None of that matters. All that matters is what do you say about Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And they give a wonderful statement, or Peter does. Peter's always quick to say something. It's not always the right thing, but this time it is. And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the promised one. You are the one. I believe in you. There's a parallel passage. I want to show you how it's recorded in Matthew, Matthew 16. It's on, it'll be on the screen, Matthew 16 and verse number 16. Jesus, it's the, same, it's the same idea here, Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. We have a fuller recording of what he said. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. All of life comes down to how you answer that question. How clearly can you see who Jesus is? Thou art the Christ. And now I love, we don't have this statement in Mark, but we have it in Matthew. I love how Jesus responds. He looks right at Peter. Remember, a few minutes ago, he's rebuking these guys for their lack of vision. He's like, you guys can't even see what's right in front of you. But now Peter sees with clear vision, I know who you are, Jesus. You're the Son of God. He looks right at him. And Jesus says this, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Look at this verse. How does Peter know? How does Peter have this clear vision? How does Peter really know who Jesus is? Was it because some pastor sat him down and said, let me explain some things to you about the Bible? Is that how it happened? No. Was it because he took a class 
And in that class, he, was, he became convinced, oh, yes, point one, two, three, yep, Jesus is the Son of God. I believe it. Jesus said, Jesus said, no, Simon, Peter, that is not. It was no person who convinced you who I was, but who convinced Peter who Jesus was? God did. The Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. The Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit. This Holy Spirit moves invisibly in this world. And the Holy Spirit speaks to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls and says, look at Jesus. He's the Son of God. Look to Jesus. He's your Savior. And just like Jesus touched the eyes of the blind man and he could see clearly, the Holy Spirit touched the eyes of me one day, of you one day if you know Christ, and for the first time at some point in your life you said, oh, I'd heard about Jesus, but now I see who He is. Now I see that He's God who came for me. Now I see that He died for me. Now I see that He rose again. He's not just the Savior of the world. He's my Savior. And the moment it becomes personal to you, and the moment it became personal to me, that's what the Bible calls being born again. Or the Bible also calls that being saved or becoming a believer. There's all kinds of ways to describe it. But that is the moment when it's clear that Peter has been converted. He's not just a distant follower of Jesus, but he knows Jesus and has accepted Jesus personally. And now he can see with clear vision. So I've got to ask you this morning, what can you see? What can you see? Has there been a time in your life that you can say, yes, at that point in time, Jesus did not just become a character from history, but Jesus, at this point in my life, Jesus became my personal Lord and Savior. If that's your case, the Bible says that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you'll personally believe on Christ, regardless of what happens in this life, you can be assured that you have eternal life. You say, well, what do I have to do? Do I have to you know, join a church? Do I have to get baptized? Do I have to take a communion? Is there some ritual? No. The Bible says it is by faith and faith alone. So if you've never done that, I would invite you to do that privately today. Today, receive Christ as your personal Savior. And then what about believers? What about you and I who have received Christ as our Savior? Are you, do you find yourself like the disciples sometimes? Like you've just gotten so busy and so out of sorts that you'd say, ah, oh, there were spiritual things I used to see so clearly. I used to read my Bible and God would speak to my heart. I used to go to church and listen to the message and I would know what God was trying to show me. But now I've just let so many things in life distract me. Well, this is an opportunity this morning for you to come to Christ, not for salvation, you've already done that, but to say, Lord, restore my vision. Let me see you for who you are. What we're going to do now is we're going to go to a quiet time of prayer. 
So I'd ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Everyone, just no one looking around the room. This is a private time. This is a moment. We're, we're going to sing a song in just a minute to end the service. The musicians will take their place. Don't let any of that distract you. Just This is a time for you to spend with God. Two questions. One, has there been a time in your life when you've received Jesus as your Savior? Whether you're in the room or you're watching on the live stream today, do you see today clearly who Jesus is? You say, Ethan, I've known some things about Jesus, but I'm not sure that I've... I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. Well, why would you allow for any doubt in your mind? Why not make today the day just you and God say, you can pray a prayer. In your heart, you can privately pray something like this. Lord, I do believe you're the Son of God. I do believe you died to save me. And I give you my full faith. I give my heart to you. Are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing today to make today the day? You say, I wasn't sure, but I want to make sure that I know Christ personally. Just pray a simple prayer, something like that. Something, Lord, please save me. Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died and rose again for me. My faith is in you. I do believe. Just take a a quiet moment, either wherever you're watching or in this room, and receive Christ by faith. If you receive Jesus today, I'd encourage you to tell somebody. Send us a message. Let us know. and Let us know that. And we can, we'd love to help you grow in your faith. Or if you still have questions about, I'm not sure I'm quite understanding what the Bible is teaching. We'd love to get you some material that, you can, that, can, that can help explain the Scriptures. So please let us know. But Christians, now's the time for us to pray. Have you allowed things to come in and blur your vision? As Amy plays the piano, would you just spend some a quiet moment in prayer with the Lord? Lord, we're so thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful for the Bible. We're thankful that it reveals our Savior to us. Lord, I pray that as you've worked in our hearts this morning, that we would leave differently than we came today. I pray that each of us would make some spiritual decisions. I pray that we would leave with a renewed passion and a renewed desire to love you and know you more. Lord, I don't know each need in the room today, but you do. I pray that you'd meet meet each according to your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.